1: ever think we'd end up going to prison because of the wild? (laughs)
0: The last place I expected to be.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This is interesting. My producer Matt and I are driving up towards a unique destination. This one might take a bit of explaining. Clallam Bay Correction Centre. We're just a few miles from Bramble's territory, the female cougar we tried to capture last week with Kim Sager-Fradkin, the wildlife biologist. Bramble is part of a big research project here on Washington's Olympic Peninsula to understand these cougars' lives in intimate detail. Technology is at the heart of it. Over a dozen cougars fitted with satellite radio collars and a grid system of nearly a 100 remote camera traps constantly collecting thousands of images and videos of wildlife in the forest. All this tech is great because it gives researchers so much data to work with just what a scientist wants, but the problem is they have so much data to work with, way more than a small team can go through. So today, we'll dive into the data and look at some pretty imaginative approaches to dealing with massive information overload in the digital age of conservation.
2: And they just literally have to click a couple of buttons, it all gets processed, standardized and they can just leave the computer and it's going to work for us, so that's the idea.
1: And the prison? Well, the inmates are part of the solution too. I'm kind of nervous. I'm a little nervous too. I, don't, I just don't know what to expect. No, it's the first time I've done anything like this, so it's, it's a really interesting reason to be here, isn't it? Yeah. In all my years of working with wildlife, this one is new to me. That is a lot of barbed wire. Holy smokes. All right. Welcome to the wild. Welcome to prison. From KUOW in Seattle, I'm Chris Morgan. And yes, welcome to the wild. before we head to prison i find myself in a dusty garage oh yeah there's the old and there's the old days of tech right there I mean, this is all in here i'm with dr mark elbrock digging through old cardboard boxes full of wildlife cameras in many ways data collection begins with the cameras mark is obsessed with
0: so this is the old like here's the old trail cameras huh you know that looks yep. like a good one right which now would be a junker
1: Mark is a biologist with Panthera. They're a conservation organization focused on big cats. They work all over the world. Mark's been on the front line of using camera technology to study wildlife just about his entire career. Yeah, you made these from scratch, huh? Yep. One camera Mark shows me was built inside an ammo container with a hole cut in the side so the lens could stick out.
0: And then, of course, we would hack the GoPros as well.
1: Mark really is kind of a camera wizard. He's used these skills and the images he's collected to study big cats all over the world, to understand their behavior. Cameras began
0: to reveal the secret lives of mountain lions while we weren't looking and when we weren't catching them.
1: Not much was known about mountain lions or cougars back then. And even today, researchers are still unravelling the mystery of these cats. And Mark says that most of what we knew about them, or at least what people thought they knew about them, was from hunting them or doing field research, often with the help of dogs.
0: We're experiencing a species that's hiding all the time. Whereas that's not the natural state of mountain lions necessarily. And so I feel like we've built an entire cultural understanding of an animal based on chasing them with dogs of trees and onto cliffs. And that's not a mountain lion. And so the cameras, when they first were developed, were, you know, just taking a picture, right? But you were at least getting glimpses, still shots, images of a cat doing something
1: other than being chased by a dog. The cameras he's showing me look like they belong in some museum. And that's the point. Tech is moving fast, as we all know. Just think about the phone in your pocket and what it can do. So these days, Mark no longer needs to solder cameras in this garage. Now he can just buy motion-sensored cameras with almost limitless photo-storing capabilities. And of course now, they can even record video. Mark and his organization has got to the point where they're collecting millions of images from all over the world. It's a
0: super time to be a mountain lion biologist because of technology so that we're having all these insights that we just couldn't look at, we couldn't answer these questions 20 years ago and so it's just a great time to learn new things about mountain lions.
1: Mark developed a grid system of cameras to deploy in wilderness areas to map out where big cats go and to estimate their population size. He started using the system in different areas in North and South America where mountain lions are found. He started seeing things from those cameras that he never expected still photographs and videos of cougars interacting with each other even sharing kill sites eating from the same prey and being far more social than anybody thought for these elusive animals early on mark wrote up some of his findings for an academic wildlife journal but that didn't really go over well with the general consensus at the time on cougar behavior Scientists from the journal pushed back.
0: And I had reviews that were one sentence long. Mountain lions do not interact, period, reject. Um, mountain lions do not do that, period, mm. reject. I and mean, I'm like, I've got a video right here that says right. they the do. Proof. Suddenly you, know? you and, have the proof you uh, needed.
1: His technology was starting to change the way the scientific world understood cougars. Now Mark has partnered with Kim Sager-Fradkins of the Elwha Clallam tribe for this study of cougars on the Olympic Peninsula. They have 74 cameras, set up equal distance apart from each other. Each camera is set to take a photograph any time something walks past the sensor. They're starting to gather tens of thousands of images. That data, combined with the information they get from satellite-collared cats like Bramble, will give them a population estimate, where the cats move and ultimately... Paint a picture of how cougars live in these forests.
0: And this is an incredible opportunity for mountain lion biologists like myself to have that conservation-driven data set to really speak to monitoring and hopefully stewarding and caretaking of an animal population over time.
1: As new technology comes online, the amount of data that researchers like Mark and Kim have to deal with is staggering. In fact, it's more than they can handle.
0: We are so drowning in, in data and we need the work done.
1: It was time to get innovative. Kim came up with a novel solution to handling some of this video data. So when it comes to the videos, how do you analyse all of that content? Prisoners. They turned to inmates at the Clallam Bay Corrections Centre. But the night before we head to prison to learn more, I get a text. The text is from Mark, the cougar biologist. It says, we have a cat on a kill. Are you available for a capture? How can you say no to that? Especially because you might remember last time we tried, we failed to capture Bramble, the female cougar. This could be our second chance to see where all of this data begins, a real life cougar. This time, one of the project cameras has picked up a new cat in a very accessible location. The next morning, we meet up with Kim, Mark, and the rest of the capture crew, bright and early, at a gas station west of Port Angeles. I know those faces. Energy and expectations are high. We drive about 20 minutes further west of town and up into the Olympic foothills to where the hounds have chased the cougar up a tree. They dart him from a rifle with a tranquilizer, and we wait. Eventually, the cat climbs down the tree and minutes later we're with the sleeping cat on the ground. It's a relief, especially for Kim. The cat is down.
0: The cat is down. It's always the most stressful part for
2: me is after they bail out of the tree and before we find them. Yeah. I'm relieved right now
3: that uh, that we found him. The drug did its trick.
1: Cougars can get quite big, but this one is huge. <sighs>
0: A big deal. All right, let's get, let's, let's we're gonna scale him.
1: First, they weigh the cougar.
0: One, two, three, lift. 79.6. <coughs> is that in kill?
1: Mark does some quick field math.
0: 79.2. 79.2 times 2.2 two is 160 plus another 16, 176, 175.
1: 175 pounds. This is the biggest cougar this team has ever captured on the peninsula. I kneel down right next to the cougar. I want to look at every detail of him. It's an amazing moment being this close to such a magnificent cat. So I've got my hands on the cougar right now on his shoulder. And he has giant paws about as wide as my fingers and thumb together. The front paws. And I can see his canines which are, if I pull back here his canines are about an inch and a half long underneath the below the gum, and a really raspy, coarse tongue, just like a house cat, only a hundred times coarser. They put a hood over his head so he doesn't sense what's going on around him, and he 's just flat out, completely calm everyone's speaking very very quietly, respectfully he mm. can even hear the cat snoring. Mm. The team goes to work. Everybody's got their job. They have about 40 minutes before the tranquilizer wears off, so they have to work fast. This is all about data collection, and there's a long list of it to gather. Here we go. They take a faecal sample to test his microbiome for diseases or viruses, a small fur sample for genetics. A whisker going on? Whisker. A single whisker contains stable isotopes that'll show the nutrient composition of this cat's diet. Mark's now measuring the canines. Look at that, wow. Giant white canines. Mark estimates the cat's age, six and a half to seven years old. This big tom is a very rare, mature male. Most big males are hunted out, so the data from this guy will be extra useful. All of it, all the information, goes into a database. And then, the main reason for the capture, on goes the satellite collar.
3: Putting the
2: on
0: the collar. Hopefully I'm trying to make sure it's tight enough. The,
1: the team names him Moses. And before you know it, the 40 minutes are up. One of the team members injects the reversal drug to bring him round. Moses jumps to his feet, takes half a second to look at us all, and he's off. Leaping,
0: it's gone.
1: <laughs> Vanishes into the forest. An important cougar. Wow. And now he's equipped to beam back satellite data about his every move.
2: Yeah, I'm just really curious to see where he goes. Yeah, This guy, somebody who's really on the edge of human settlements in a lot of ways and such a big cat.
1: Yeah, that he has managed to stay out of trouble for all these years is pretty cool. Not an easy thing to do as a cougar in this modern world. After the break, we follow the paper trail of data from the cats to the prison to find out how this unusual collaboration works. At SoundSide, we bring you news and conversation rooted in the Pacific Northwest. Hi, I'm Libby Denkman. I think of my job hosting SoundSide as number one. Asking tough questions of powerful people, the questions you, KUOW listeners, want answered. And two, bringing you a daily slice of the fascinating, confounding, and often goofy side of life in Washington State. Join me for Soundside at noon and 8pm on KUOW
2: or anytime on the Soundside podcast.
1: The next morning, it's finally time for our prison visit. We drive an hour west of Port Angeles through miles of thick Pacific Northwest forest. Thinking of Moses. We roll up to the security gate at Clallam Bay Correction Center, and my producer Matt checks us in with the security guard. No. any bombs or bombs? No. We're buzzed in through the front gate. The Correction Center is home to nine hundred inmates. Many of them will never leave. The irony of the surrounding wilderness is not lost on me. We check in at security. We're allowed one audio recorder and nothing else. Then we're escorted in through an echoey labyrinth. Then a grassy courtyard. A few inmates are walking around. We're here because this prison is part of Kim and Mark's Cougar Project too. Finally, we enter the prison's education center. Hey, this is Greg Steen. How you doing? Hey, I'm Chris. How you doing? Thank yeah, you. nice to meet you. This is Greg Steen, an inmate here. He's 55 years old and he'll be in prison for the rest of his life for five counts of armed robbery. He and others have become a key part of the Cougar Study. Kim has trained Greg and some of the other inmates to analyse and catalogue the videos that are being collected by all those remote cameras she and Mark have deployed. He volunteers for the wildlife project as part of an environmental science class he's taking at the prison.
3: It allows us to kind of extend from our classroom environment and actually be, uh, I think she called it uh, citizen uh, biologist, geologist. That's it, I like that one.
1: The remote cameras Kim uses to take photographs and video. Someone has to click through every one of them to see what's in each video, which species. What are the animals doing? And the key part is taking that information and getting it into a database. Kim and her small team just don't have the time.
3: You know, being short of time out there, we have a little time on our hands in here to uh, to review things. And um, yeah, she just she came in here and told us what to do, and uh, left us, you know, entrusted that we would, uh, you know, do as much as we can. And then and it's these
1: video clips that can reveal gems of secret cougar behavior. Greg is sitting at one of five computer screens in the prison classroom. His eyes riveted on the footage, he clicks away with his mouse and walks me through the process of classifying the videos.
3: We open a filing system here, and then um, just say we start at the top here. Clicking on the file, the information at the top, the top left screen gives us the date, the actual time that this was occurring, and even
1: Greg then watches and classifies every video, examining them really carefully for every detail. Sometimes it's just a leaf in the wind that triggers the motion sensor. Lots of videos have nothing in them, but every so often, they'll get a video of an animal. And if they're really lucky, a cougar. Greg shows me one recent video. It shows a cougar actually sharing a kill with a skunk.
3: So we think that because the spotted skunk is interacting with the cougar here on this kill site... You know, who would have thought that something like that would happen?
1: Surprisingly, cougars don't seem to mind all that much if a smaller animal wants to share a meal. Or maybe it knows better than to mess with the tail end of a skunk. Once Greg has a video with some action, he then clicks on a list of options to describe the behaviour of the animal. What would happen if you drop down that? So you well, got feeding, we got all kinds of options here.
3: We have feeding, playing, interacting, resting, catching, investigating the camera behaviour, cleaning, nothing, walking,
1: moving. Greg loves this part of the class. He grew up in Seattle, but he says this role has expanded the way he looks at the world around him, and even inside these walls, there's wildlife to see. Greg says he started to notice the birds that fly into the prison courtyard, like the gulls and the ravens.
3: They know when we go eat the chow, they know when we come back, people bring back bread and things like that. But if a seagull comes in and eats too much, the raven will come in and chase the seagull away. Mm. As if to say, you know, that's enough for you. Do you, do you watch them a lot? I do. Yeah, I do. Uh, I have a pretty good shot of the uh, exterior there. And, uh, you know, oftentimes you'll, you'll, you'll see this uh, communication with, with the crows and the ravens and, and the seagulls.
1: Were you always into wildlife?
3: You know, I think that we all have a little uh, uh 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 what's what's my guy from Australia's name? Uh we have a little croc him too, Crocodile, crocodile in Dundee and yeah, us, yeah. you know. <laughs> even even me being an urbanite, uh, from the inner cities of Seattle, you know, we we were, we ran from dogs and we have raccoons running around too, you know what I mean. So we there's all kinds of wildlife that exist in in these particular areas that we all grow up in, you know what I mean? So I guess in a sense we all have a innate connection to uh, you know Areas like this so yeah In
1: here, sometimes even the cougars are closer to the inmates than you might think. One of the collared cougars had a kill site nearby. It was just 200 yards from the prison fence.
3: You know, we don't really, really think about the bigger ecosystem that we're in in prison because we're so confined, but we're actually neighbors of you know what we're actually viewing so it's actually good to see you know what's going on outside of the perimeters of the confines of an institution right it really allows your mind to to kind of expand and be freer in 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 some regards you know so it's it's rather fascinating
1: back to the videos many of them aren't super interesting but sometimes an eye-catching one shows up and there's a category for that so yeah. on the screen, you've got a little checkbox, and it says Hollywood, question mark, and then right. next to it, Facebook. It says
3: Facebook, right. Oh,
1: tell, what is that, what's that well, about?
3: Well, it's like, you know, some of these videos, like the, the skunk and the cougar, uh, you know, those are those are things that you wouldn't normally assume would be uh, happening out there, you know? I mean, it could be, uh, I think one time there was there was an eagle out there, um, and there was some, some inner fighting there. And so, you know, funny moments, like if you were to add some type of a music bed to and some type of audio, people would enjoy that. Mm. Viral moments. Mm-hmm. You and know. That's what you, so the best clips are called Hollywood. That's right.
1: I spend some time with Greg and he shows me some favourites. More of the cougar and skunk, cougar kittens playing, adult cougars sharing meals. And all the while, Kim is getting the data she needs to understand these cats and the inmates get something out of it too.
3: I think that's one of the things that, uh, uh, you know, being incarcerated will uh, you know, will do is it will it, it will it will disconnect you if you let it. Um, but I think that you know, connecting to projects like this allow us to be part of society in a sense.
1: The whole time I've been talking to Greg, another inmate, Tom, has been sitting ten feet away. He's looking over every so often. I met him when we first came into the room. Tom is also serving a life sentence for armed robbery. I could tell there was something he wanted to say. Tom, I saw you nodding then. Do you you have, would you wanna say something about?
0: Everybody's in the wildlife. Everybody watches National Geographic. Sorry, can I get you to say that? I was a little far off, can I get you to say that again?
1: Um, a lot of, a lot of us don't have anything happening outside of this prison, so to be a part of something that's outside of this prison kind of gives us a, it lights a fire up under us, you know? ...gives us something to feel like we're a part of that's not prison. So that's, that's one of the things that guys take from this... ...aside from the fact that they just love nature. As we leave the prison, I glance up and catch myself looking into a security camera. They're everywhere, quietly revealing things about those who walk by. We walk through one last door and out into the fresh air... ...and right then I look up and hear something... Come outside the the prison now, and guess he's up in the tree above me here. That's Greg's raven. The wildlife cameras, these videos, they're a window into the wild. Even for those who won't ever walk in the forest again. But while the prisoners categorize the wildlife camera videos, the amount of data continues to grow. The cameras don't stop taking pictures or recording video, so no matter how many clips a human clicks through, they just can't keep up. Faster solutions are needed, and that's where a different kind of intelligence comes in. Artificial intelligence. Enter Mark Elbrock's colleague at Panthera, Dr. Ross Pittman. We reach him in South Africa.
2: I'm not sure if you know much about South Africa, but we have rolling blackouts across the country. (laughs) Uh, Surprise, surprise. And uh, the blackout started one hour ago. So I'm on laptop power.
1: Ross is an ecologist by training. He used to spend a lot of time in the field collecting the wildlife data, like Kim and Mark. But now his role has changed. He's now the guy who makes sense of the data.
2: And now we, we almost exclusively work on computers and are literally never in the field. Really? How does, how does that feel yeah. for
1: someone who was like born into ecology?
2: Yeah, it's, it's, it's OK.
1: Ross is the director of data management at Panthera. He now works with massive data sets to make sense of wildlife behaviour.
2: It's like being a sort of investigator almost, right? You can sort of plan something and then, and then kind of try and see if you can prove it almost.
1: Panthera has collected over 20 million images from their camera traps all across the globe for all kinds of cat species. And each one of those images contains a lot of information. It's not just the cougar or tiger in the foreground. There are many layers to extract.
2: So for instance, the species that might be in the image or, and for instance how... Many individuals, there might be, et cetera, et cetera. There's lots more that we can actually draw from that. And because of that complexity within the image, um, the actual number of records we have of information related to our camera trapping work exceeds 50 billion rows of information. That's, that's obviously <laughs> a
1: billion with a B. Yeah. Just hearing that is overwhelming. 50 billion rows of information, more than any army of volunteers could handle. At first, Panthera tried crowdsourcing and a few off-the-shelf software programs to try and manage and analyse all their data, but nothing worked the way they needed it to.
2: Instead, we started to look into new approaches, and that's where the idea of sort of artificial intelligence machine learning comes into the picture.
1: But a computer program that could analyze wildlife data the way Panthera needed it to didn't exist. So Ross decided he would write the program himself. There was only one problem. Ross didn't know anything about computer programming. Remember, he was a field guy. So he set out to learn all he could about computer coding and how to teach a computer to help turn image data into usable information. He spent a lot of nights on YouTube.
2: It's amazing what you can learn on the internet. Um, you can pretty much learn all of this on, on the internet. And again,
1: Three years later, Panthera developed their own machine learning program, Panthera Integrated Data Systems, Panthera IDS. The next step was to teach the computer about wildlife. A computer doesn't know what a tiger or a cougar is until you teach it.
2: It is the process of training a computer training a program to identify species or specific characteristics within the images.
1: To do this, Ross and the team take images that humans have already identified as a specific species and they upload them to the computer's database in the cloud. They tell the computer that this is an image of a tiger. Uh, This is another image of a tiger, perhaps from a different angle. It takes thousands of images, but eventually the computer will learn what a tiger looks like on its own. It's kind of like remembering a new face at the office. You have to see them a few times before you remember them, especially if you see them in a different place, out of context.
2: You kind of allow it to learn on its own. It sort of learns, um, you know, for instance, all the specific nuances of specific images and the types of of species and the numbers of individuals that reside within those images eventually you end up with a classifier an actual mathematical model that is capable of predicting onto new images that it's never seen before
1: it makes total sense, the phrase machine learning. It's it's very much learning, like a human would, right? And it's just a machine that's doing it instead of a, instead of a person, learning the difference between an apple and an orange.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: The computer now has a classifier. It's classified the species. It's learned it. But the computer also has to learn about other species in that location too, so it can tell the difference, and even the backgrounds of the photographs. So what a computer learns about one place might not help it in another.
2: The moment you start having more species in there, uh, your, your actual training process becomes a lot more complex in that you need more camera trapping images to represent each of those species in order to train the classifiers. So the moment you start to work more to the equator, species richness increases, now you've got loads more species, you know, for instance, you've got you've got all the different types of birds and everything else.
1: So a computer, let's say, learning about the Sahara Desert has a much easier time than a computer learning about the Amazon rainforest.
2: Completely, absolutely. Yeah. It
1: makes total sense, I guess, doesn't it? You know, it's just a more complex place and the computer has got to get its head around that, uh, that biodiversity and learn, learn yeah. all of the species effectively so that it knows... So that it knows what's wandering past a camera. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Ross and his team have now built classifiers for large parts of Asia, Africa and Central and South America. And it's working. The classifiers have a 99.8% accuracy for some images. And that's often better than humans can do. And now they're in the process of helping Kim and Mark with their cougar images in Washington state. Once the artificial intelligence classifier is up and running, it will massively accelerate the time it takes to identify what's in all their photographs.
2: And they just literally have to click a couple of buttons. It all gets processed, standardised, and then you can you can sort of, you know, for instance, click another button to say run through a machine classifier and then they can go off and have a sleep or they can head off and collect some more camera trap images, you know, Hmm. and they can just leave the computer and it's going to work for us. So that's the idea.
1: This approach is taking things to a whole new level. Where is this technology heading? Like, what's the future for this stuff?
2: Sure, that's a good question. Be honest, we don't know, right? So at the end of the day, it can go wherever we want to take it.
1: Wherever this type of technology takes us, for Ross, it's about order and process, making things more efficient.
2: I hate processes that are not efficient. Mm. And machine learning can really help to streamline workflows, to streamline how we actually go about the work that we do.
1: Ross wants to make things better for his colleagues in the field, by making sense of all the data they're collecting and using it to help wildlife. But with so many species facing threats, he wants to do this as quickly as possible.
2: These sp- species are you know sort of blinking out on us really quickly. We really haven't got the time to spend you know processing huge amount of images and, mm. and, you know, there's a lot more important stuff that we need to be doing. And it's quite a straightforward approach, right? It's, it's why do we do what we currently do? The only reason is because we're running out
1: of time. Ross and the team are on the edge of a new wave of technology, and who knows what data it could help to generate in the years to come for science and wildlife conservation. Kim's project is a good example. The satellite collars, the cameras, the information. They're beginning to uncover more about cougars like Bramble and Moses than was ever thought possible. And time is of the essence for so many species. The faster we learn, the faster we can help them. Whatever it reveals, perhaps the most important thing technology does is help remind us about what's out there the secretive wild animals and the places we're all connected to. There's nothing artificial about that. We have a lot of incredible images from our trip to the Olympic Peninsula, including photos of Bramble and Moses. You can check them out on our Instagram at the wild Pod. On the next episode of The Wild, I go searching for owls. These wild animals are out here among us. And if we can be uh, with them and not changing their behavior and watching them go about their
0: lives, gosh, we can't have enough of these experiences.
1: We'll meet a man who's devoted his life to photographing owls in the hopes of teaching the world how to protect them. The Wild is inspired not just by nature, but by people who work in it, love it, protect it. We have more information on our website, thewildpod.org. The Wild is a production of KUOW in Seattle in partnership with my work at the Uproar Fund. Thanks to Sandy Dimmel and everyone at the Clallam Bay Corrections Centre for their help with this episode. Our producer is Matt Martin. Jim Gates is our editor. Our production team includes David Brown, James Bretz, Juan Pablo Chiquiza, April Craig, Megan Farmer, Dyer Oxley, Tio Popescu, Mariah Powell, Brendan Sweeney, Jeannie Yandel. Our theme music is by Michael Parker. I'm your host, Chris Morgan. Thanks for listening. You may be wondering what happened to Bramble, the female cougar from our previous episode. Bramble's old satellite collar needed to be switched. Well, As we finished with Moses, Kim received another satellite update on Bramble's location, and she was close by, so the crew packed up a second time, and we went looking for her. This time, Bramble cooperated, and they were able to capture her. So it became a two-capture day, a replacement collar for Bramble, and a new collar out there on Big Moses. A huge success for the research project, and more data to process, of course.